We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Fires downfield to Jamar Chase. He's got it. Wow. Takes it all the way. DJ Moore has a pass to the end zone. Jonathan Taylor. Touchdown. Pass is caught. Touchdown. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Road of His Overtime on Road of His Radio, brought to you by Blue Wire. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland, and I am joined by Sean Siegel, as always, on the podcast. Sean and Ben as well. I want to give a plug for it at the start of today's show. Had a fantastic Stealing Bananas that came out on Wednesday talking about a trade between Davis Maddock and Ben Gretsch. And uh, it was for Patrick Mahomes. There was a lot of pieces involved in it. We talked on Tuesday's show, Sean, about your trade for Jonathan Taylor that uh, Joe Burrow was involved in. So they were fun trades to listen in on. So check that show out for anyone that hasn't checked out the most recent episode of Seeding Bananas. But Sean, we have a really, really fun episode here today. We get lots of questions in from the listeners from time to time about Zero RB and kind of the origin story of it. And we have touched on similar things previously, but I don't think we've ever got to the true origin story of it. So I'm looking forward to talking the uh, original thesis and the ideas behind the original article with the man himself, Sean Siegel. So this is going to be going to be a packed one. Yeah, I mean, hopefully it's, it's interesting. We're going to go through some of the developments in fantasy that led to the article in 2013 and then, you know, a little bit things that have developed since then. We do get this question from listeners from time to time. Obviously, we have some listeners who maybe have a little bit of familiarity with it. It's something that I discussed at least part of these details uh, with Peter Overset back on the Zero RB episode of Fantasyland, which obviously was just the fantastic series that Pat and Pete put out you know, a number of years ago now. Really one of the, I think, most evergreen and well-produced fantasy podcast series that that have been out there so obviously check any of those out especially the ones other than the the zero rb episode but colin we're going to start kind of back at the beginning and that really occurred more in the sort of 2007 2008 time frame yeah so the original article for people who have read it will be aware i'm sure at this stage that it had it came out in 2013 so you've mentioned their kind of 2008 range so let's uh hit, hit me with where things were going then I'll, I'll hold my hands up that was in the very very early inclinations of my fantasy football days uh the the nfl was growing across the pond here and uh i was starting to dive in but even before i got to uh dive into a lot of drafts sean was uh thinking up this this thesis for zero rb and so that's sort of the time period where I was playing a lot of fantasy leagues with my college friends as really what fantasy football is all about, right? And how in many ways you should play it and we should still play it. Those are the leagues in, in many cases that matter the most to us. But one of the things I was finding was that I had a little bit more of a level of obsession with it than perhaps everyone in the league had. It was a little bit more relaxed and I wanted to make more trades. And basically that means playing in more leagues and maybe playing in leagues with people 
that you don't know. And so you start to get involved in some of these other formats that are out there. And at that point, one that I was playing from time to time was the NFFC and that format and, and column, I think this is just so interesting in terms of the way that fantasy has developed over the last 15 years. But at the time, this is a format that had a two running back, three wide receiver, one tight end start. And yet quarterbacks were considered to be so powerful that quarterbacks actually got half a point per reception and wide receivers got the full point per reception. And yet it still was a very running back heavy draft. And so we think about that within the context of now what we know with underdog. And obviously we've got lots of underdog content out on the site. We've got the amazing tools up. We've been doing shows on it. And a lot of listeners will know that underdog has that similar two, three, one setup. And yet in many areas of the draft, it's very, very wide receiver heavy. You do have wide receivers going in the first round. You do have a variety of starts that you can try. And obviously anchor running back two running back, even hyper fragile, all of those starts are going to be popular, but there's also plenty of popularity for zero RB and things that are similar to that. You go back and you think of this in terms of this 2007 2008 time frame to think of a, a league where it was actually that the wide receivers got that extra half a point on all of these catches and these running these leagues would still be running back heavy and so it seemed very straightforward at that point to draft wide receivers and one of the ways that you could know that this would work was that people were doing it successfully right and we do hear from time to time uh, somebody will say, well, I drafted a zero running back team and this year, and I drafted a zero running back team and this year, and you know, that was the real start of it. In many of these cases, obviously people are joking and they're actually like mildly poking fun at somebody else who's making that claim. But one of the things that is true is that there were obviously people drafting this way very, very early. And I'm sure there'll be somebody listening who knows of other instances of these types of things. But one of the things that we also do tend to hear is that you know zero running back hasn't won any major contests and i also i don't think that that's true so i'm going to give my recollection of it which is that in 2007 i believe tom yates won the nffc classic with a four wide receiver start okay so you're kind of coming off of that as some background saying you know people can start this way it is something a little bit more like we have now in some cases i think where you are more likely to do it if you had a pick toward the end right we talk all the time about don't chase the running back points from the drafters who got to draft the stars because you're just going to start out way behind. And so he had one of these slots at the end, wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver. It's a 14 team format, right? So you can see how in that kind of context, if you're drafting the best players that score the most points, then you're going to have a dynamic team. And so I was looking at the potential to do this in some leagues. And at the same time, there was a format and I have to apologize. I'm forgetting the specific name of the software, but there was a format that would basically allow you to play these free drafts, free leagues against the computer. So you're essentially going against 11 computer teams. You know, there are good and bad things about that. The computers will obviously snap up the different values. They can, you know, randomize their approach. So you're going against some different types of rosters, you know, when you're doing waivers. And one of the things with this is that there actually were waivers, even though it's this computerized setup, you know, the teams that have the higher priority are going to get the top waiver selections. You're not going to be able to necessarily get in there and get your zero RB guys. And you say, well, you know, why would you play this format that is free? And, and there was, you know, some stakes to it, but it's mostly going to be for fun. Right. But the thing that was so meaningful to me at the time was that you could do these fast drafts. And over the course of a couple of years, I think I participated in about 160 of these leagues. And that doesn't seem remarkable now because a lot of people are drafting a ton of teams. You know, if you told somebody in 2022 that you had drafted 160 teams in the last two years, they'd be like, so what? I mean, a lot of people have done that. But, you know, almost 15 years ago, that was more unique 
And one of the things that allowed me to do was number one, to get a lot of practice and number two, to be able to try out some of these different structural approaches. And one of the reasons that I've never taken the criticism seriously that zero RB doesn't work is that I've played in a huge number of leagues and I've tested it against other structures. Now that's not to say that people shouldn't criticize zero running back or they shouldn't look for ways to make it better. Or they shouldn't look for ways to make it work for them. You know, they shouldn't look for tweaks that allow them to build off of it and make it a more dynamic approach. It's I'm not saying any of that. I and mean, criticism is good. Discussion of ideas is good. Debate is good. I'm not trying to shut off any of that. All of what I'm, saying is simply that i had the experience with doing these drafts that let me know that it was going to give you an advantage and so that part of it i was very confident in then you take that into some of these high stakes drafts and i want to see well how is this working out are these approaches still going to work and so i jumped into an nfc satellite league i believe in 2008 it would have been in that time frame and played a league, did this four wide receiver start, had the most points, you know, won the prize for that. And so then you're thinking, okay, well, it appeared to work here in the first sort of a sal salvo into high stakes. Let's try it on a little bit more expanded basis the next year. So you move into the NFFC's version of kind of the low stakes format and play a handful of teams and Again, I'm not sure of the exact numbers, but there were a couple of teams that next year that finished like in the third, fourth, or fourth, sixth, second, fifth type of area in that contest. And so again, you're like zero RB is working, taking these running backs. And, and again, I mean, you could get the next breakout star running back late in your draft because drafters were simply taking the guys who were projected to be the starters at the beginning of the season and then if you do that obviously you've got to pivot to wide receivers later you're not just going to take all running backs all the way through there are these trade-offs that managers have to have and so they leave those running backs for the zero rb managers and suddenly have these super teams and as you start to go through the course of the season a team that was very strong in the beginning because you did have the top wide receivers suddenly becomes unbeatable because now you have the top wide receivers and the first second third year guys who are emerging during the course of that season and the teams are very very difficult to beat so as we kind of move through this time period the nsfc changes the format to a more normal ppr because the power of the wide receivers was becoming clear and the running backs were struggling right so we're coming off of this time period in the early 2000s where you have backs like marshall falk and ladanian tomlinson and priest holmes and sean alexander and then you're going kind of into this long dormant period for runners where we just didn't get that many points from the running back position the real star kind of across this time period was adrian peterson but peterson is a player because he didn't have the receiving portion of it he just still wasn't that competitive even with the top wide receivers at the time he didn't necessarily always outscore someone like a ray rice you go back through he plays from 2007 to 2021 and a very long and decorated career he only has two seasons of 300 plus fantasy points and so you're thinking about a time period that or a scoring level that would be very easy to achieve for today's stars because they do have that receiving element to their profile so you're looking at a guy with this you know approximately 20 point per game scoring level that compared to the sort of epic seasons we've seen from 2016 to 2021 it doesn't do the same things for you right so the drafters who are selecting running backs to start these leagues out in many cases are already starting from behind and so then the next question is well is zero running back still effective in high stakes leagues once we're back to full ppr for everybody yeah and that was the question i was going to dive in with so you've taken it from the start you mentioned there just to clarify for people listening in, that it was 
one-point PPR for wide receivers. At that point, was there a PPR element for running backs at all, or was it just a case that it was only PPR for wide receivers? Yeah, so I don't remember the exact specifics of the timing, but I know there was a year or two in there, and I think several before I started playing, where running backs were half and wide receivers were full. And the idea there is to balance things, right? Because these running backs coming out of, you know, the early 2000s have been so powerful and drafters want leagues to be balanced. That's one of the reasons why super flex leagues are so popular right now. We don't want to be in a situation where people drafting, you know, one through four or one through six are almost playing in an entirely different league than drafters who are drafting seven through 12. And so half the running backs full for wide receivers, but then as the running back scoring starts to collapse and wide receiver drafting becomes more popular, we get a rebalancing and it's back to one point per reception each. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, so when we get to the PPR stage of the game, we're trying to balance out if we have lost that edge then for the wide receiver position. You've been kind of testing out this you know, strategy, I guess we'll say, over the, the past couple of seasons at that point. What was your immediate kind of takeaways when the scoring changed at that point? The wide receivers still dominate. And that was one of the elements that was very clear from having done this format where I had done 150 or so drafts. And so I was very confident and very excited because once you go to full PPR for everything, you move back in the direction where people are thinking, okay, well, I want to get that foundation running back. And that allowed for an environment where you could still get these dynamics where if you were drafting this zero RB type of team, people would be stunned by it because you're giving up those running back points early. And the story that we always tell on the show is this league that I was in where I started the draft with Calvin Johnson and and Jimmy Graham back during Jimmy Graham's sort of golden age. And one of the other drafters started with Trent Richardson and Maurice Jones drew. And you're thinking to yourself, you know, in retrospect, and, and we all have the benefit of hindsight when you're going back and telling some of these stories that work out for you. But I mean, you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, Calvin Johnson, Jimmy Graham does sound superior than Trent Richardson and Maurice Jones Drew, especially knowing what you know now about Trent Richardson. He did not become that guy who jumped to a 25 point per game level like some of the running backs who followed after him. This would be a different story if he had made that jump. And it was possible. I mean, this is a guy who was drafted early, who had the hybrid profile, who caught a lot of passes as a rookie. And, you know, the similarities between Richardson and guys like Le'Veon Bell and Najee Harris are there. And of course, Le'Veon Bell takes the second step and becomes a superstar. Najee Harris, you know, we're still kind of in that open-ended portion for him where, you know, which direction is he going to go? In all likelihood, he's going to go somewhere in between, right? Because Richardson and Bell really represented the two extremes in terms of how that profile could emerge from that point. (laughs) But so we now have this situation where there's an opportunity to to draft a lot of wide receiver heavy teams and i kind of go back and look at sort of the follow-up article because obviously zero running back any fragility in the myth of value-based drafting is the one 
that really introduced elements of the concept that were specific to how I draft and how I wanted to explain this draft. But I did do a follow-up article that had look at, at some real teams. And that portion was also kind of fun because the teams there are, are just sort of crazy, right? My team is Calvin Johnson, Jimmy Graham, Pierre Garcon, Jordy Nelson, Le'Veon Bell, Kenny Britt, Alshon Jeffrey, DeAndre Hopkins, and this other manager who you know, wanted to do these side bets with me during the draft was sure that my team was going to finish last. Had Trent Richardson, Maurice Jones, Drew, Victor Cruz, Gio Bernard, Torrey Smith, Stevie Johnson, Jerry Cook, Emmanuel Sanders. And so, again, we kind of see this contrast where the more running back heavy team falls into a lot of the problems that we now know or knew at the time, but now has become so much a part of the fantasy landscape that that probably is going to be a little bit of an issue. The other team that I talked about in that piece was one that I drafted after the first Thursday night game when Peyton Manning had scored, I don't know, like the 50 points or whatever it was. And so that team was Des Bryant, Peyton Manning, Andre Johnson, Pierre Garcon, Jordy Nelson, Le'Veon Bell, Josh Gordon, Chris Ivory, Alshon Jeffrey, and Jared Cook. And this is the season where Josh Gordon and Alshon Jeffrey really exploded. And so Andre Johnson, you know, Andre 1500, go out there and, and get his 1500 receiving yards every season. In this format, that's two, three, and then one flex. My third round pick was often my flex player, right? Because Jordy Nelson, Alshon Jeffrey, Josh Gordon scored so many points and Des Bryant still the first round pick. And this is kind of peak Des Bryant time period as well. This team actually finished third in points in the regular season of the contest. It does mention in the article, and it was kind of interesting because I wasn't sure about these specifics before I went back and looked today, but I played 14 main event teams that year. 10 of them made the postseason. So as opposed to you know one and three or one and four, you're doing 10 out of 14. And of those teams, two did finish first and second. Many listeners will know that those were the two Jamal Charles teams and the other eight teams were zero RB teams. And so that has always been somewhat controversial, right? Because you can say, I mean, these are the modified zero RB teams that won. That's even more controversial if you say modified zero RB. I thought we could kind of <laughs> double it up there. But the interesting part is that the other eight teams advanced. The teams that finished first and second during the playoff portion were not the team that was the highest scoring during the regular season. That team actually finished 11th. The other little interesting part there is that Le'Veon Bell was on a lot of those teams as a rookie. And drafting rookies and second-year players is a big part of the approach at both wide receiver and running back, much more unusual at that time period. But Bell's somebody I was willing to kind of go and get sort of regardless of where he went. And so this is another example of people ask about you know, what does staying in structure mean? You know, do you break structure from time to time? And one of the things that we do say, and it's been sort of a focal point from the beginning, is that if you have a must-draft player, I mean, if you have a, a player who you think is a multi-round discount kind of guy, a league-winning type of guy, you know, don't pass up on him just to draft another wide receiver so you can say that you technically hit what we talk about in terms of zero RB. At the same time, when we talk about misconceptions or things that drafters do wrong, not drafting enough wide receivers is often the case. And you think about those teams there, and they're very wide receiver heavy even after the first four rounds. And it's going back to this idea of, okay, we want to have six of the top 15 wide receivers. So that means hitting the established stars and then also hitting your top breakout candidates. I mean, you can't get six of the top 15 any other way. You have to have the best players and you have to have the ascending rising players and you have to draft them in a mix throughout the course of your drafts that allows you to number one, generally have success with almost all of your teams. And that was one of the things that I found too, is that people tend to think of zero running back as being kind of this risky strategy. And it's almost the exact opposite where, you know, the way that we look at fantasy now, people will tell you, okay, you want to get that running back 
you want to take that running back shot at some point in the first couple of rounds to put the upside in there for you because people realize that drafting the wide receivers is actually the safe part and even if you've done a huge number of leagues one of the things that is difficult is to separate maybe your own skills in other areas from the structure itself and so one of the things that i found is it's very difficult to have a bad team if you draft zero running back and and really follow it out don't make the mistakes that we talk about kind of in the mistakes section you you're all you almost have this floor of finishing say fifth or sixth and that's when you draft a bad team and have some bad luck whereas if you go with a more balanced option and have bad luck draft a bad team I and mean, you can finish toward the bottom and so really everything with zero running back is pushing your floor up and then you're looking to hit on some of these guys in some years that creates unbelievable super squads right now a potential counter argument would be that one of the reasons that all of these teams that i've drafted as zero rb teams you know starting in that 2007 2008 ish time frame and coming up through the present that virtually none of them finish you know out or toward the bottom is because of other elements like player selection and i do think that player selection is important i'm not someone who is looking to create a portfolio where i spread across all of the players it would seem to be very overconfident and or just unrealistic to think that purely picking players is allowing an approach to fantasy that doesn't otherwise work to have these really high results and so i kind of dismiss that as a thesis for why these teams aren't landing at the bottom it is also an element that we talk about kind of over the last five or six years where you do want to keep exploring you want to keep evaluating you want to draft some of these other teams especially draft some other structures that you think will work and then even occasionally mix in some structures that maybe you think are, are suboptimal to make sure that you're seeing the different ways that fantasy can play out and that you're constantly testing your thesis and then that kind of is bringing us up to 2013 and the article itself so um you have the the article am I, i'm correct and said came out prior to the actual results of the season isn't that correct it did it, it came out that november yeah so it came out in november and then you mentioned the follow-up pieces that came out after the season to kind of document how that all played out but what was it like for you um you know your process and doing the article and the findings that you had over the past couple of years with the drafts you did then obviously the reception to the article but then how the season played out how was that kind of i guess november through uh february time period yeah so it was it was a very interesting time because frank had just started rotoviz and i felt like at the time and, and still feel very much like his work was groundbreaking in so many ways and really was the catalyst for the shift that we've seen in the industry since and what he was doing with his research with his way of thinking about fantasy with the tools that he built for the site and so being part of rotavis at the time was very exciting and getting to interact with him was a big draw I love bouncing ideas off of him and talking through some of these things. And one of the pieces that I wrote that fall in preparation for the season was about the flex winning championships and how dominating the flex position and viewing the flex position as an area where you could get this significant advantage on your opponents was really the key way to think about it and then if we think about the flex position as sort of a catch-all for the underperforming players or the guys who aren't quite good enough to be in the starting lineup then we're going to make some very serious mistakes as we construct our team and so he was enthusiastic about that obviously frank put some stuff together that i'm sure was you know even much better explaining how that would work and so we had those pieces i went through the drafts again that year they were very very wide receiver heavy and we got in kind of the middle of the season the teams are doing well 
And I read this book by Taleb called Anti-Fragility. Now, a lot of people will know, and one of the things that's a very small sidelight to the debate is just, you know, whether or not some of these terms are perfectly appropriate for attaching to elements of the discussion, right? Because he's talking about, in many cases, the the larger world, which has less structure than games have and can't be modeled in quite the same way. And so when he's talking about fragile, robust or resilient and anti-fragile, he's looking at them in some ways that are both similar and different. But one of the things that really jumped out was that whether or not you feel like it's an exact one-to-one to take these terms over into fantasy, I thought that looking at your sort of value-based drafting team as a fragile team because it is very easy to hit it's very fragile in the face of prediction error and injury you look at a running back heavy team and one of the things you know that we discussed at the time and has been successful in some specific years if the perfect storm occurs and 2016 would be a good example of that. That was a year the zero RB was simply not as effective coming off of the running back apocalypse to have a season where ADP shifts a lot and you get much better values on running backs and then, then running backs both stay healthy and score a little better than they have. So you have this kind of unique season where that approach would have been very successful for you for a, a variety of reasons, most notably because the running backs stayed healthy and scored points. And that's what fantasy football is about right is having the players who stay healthy and score points so in many ways we can just boil it down to you know your strategy should be draft the healthiest and the highest scoring players but within within that very simple sort of statement we can build out a structure that gives us a lot of other advantages which is what zero rb does so you look at this ability to build running back heavy teams that can weather the storm of the regular season and they're going to be resilient but they're not necessarily going to have the upside. They're not going to benefit from that chaos. They're going to power their way through it. One of the problems that you have is that the teams that power their way through it are still weaker teams. What you really need to have for that to work is you need to actually not have the storm. You need to not have the chaos. And basically that means getting lucky. Now, it's not that anybody who's drafted running backs and one is lucky. That's not what I'm trying to say. But when you're looking at the specific teams that will come through in those situations, it's still not actually the fact that the team was built in a resilient manner that made it work. It's that it was built in a resilient manner, but then actually didn't have to be resilient because that particular team wasn't hit by running back injuries at the same level that most of the other teams in the league were. And then on the far end of the spectrum, you get these teams that you know whether or not you want to call it anti-fragile they do benefit from the chaos of the nfl season right they have the scoring potential in those first six or seven rounds to take an injury because all wide receivers don't stay healthy either now they stay a little bit healthier and in many seasons and in many draft slots going in you knew that the odds were in your favor that they were going to score more points once you stack them together, the odds were heavily in your favor that you were going to win the race to fill the flex and you were going to dominate the flex. And then as you selected breakout running backs and pass catching running backs and maybe committee backs or even pure handcuffs who were going to come through because of that chaos, now you have this super team. Because I thought it was such a clear way to communicate the idea you know i went to frank and said look i i have this concept i'm not sure um you know what people are going to think or you know what you're going to think i know that in many cases people don't believe that this will work or they don't like the fact that it does work what are your thoughts and so he liked it and one of the things that he said to me since several years later that I sort of have taken to be maybe the biggest compliment on it. And again, I'm sure there are plenty of people who don't agree with this and and that's, that's good. That's fine. I mean, debate and discussion about it is as healthy and necessary. You know, he said any idea that is this good or this meaningful or transformative 
you know, it's going to go through that time period where there's a lot of pushback and then it's going to go through that time period where everybody views it as inevitable and not even really that much of an insight. And so at that point, people don't think it's a big deal anymore and, you know, don't think the insight in the first place was that big a deal. And so basically Frank was a good friend and he was a, a great fantasy mind and you know, what he did with building Rotoviz, I really, really do think changed the industry. And so I'm, I'm very thankful and grateful for all of that. But then the good news, and a little bit of the bad news, but the good news was the reception was fantastic and just received a, a lot of, a lot of compliments on it, which I mean, we're, we're human. That feels good. I mean, there's, there's no way to, to put it differently. I mean, it feels good. And I did hear from a lot of people that it changed kind of how they looked at fantasy and it helped them. And I, you know, that's what we're trying to do with the site. And that's what we're trying to do with the podcast is, you know, we're trying to help people improve their gameplay and have fun. And I think these teams are fun, right? When you have all of these star wide receivers and you have some breakout running backs to go with them, those are fun teams. And so that part of it was, was positive. Obviously there was pushback. And I think again, some of that can feel personal and can feel hard in the moment. Uh, and, and it is kind of one of the reasons that I like to step back from a lot of the back and forth on things. That part, the personal part doesn't interest me. And sort of repeatedly answering the same questions, especially if they're in bad faith. I mean, that part doesn't necessarily interest me. I mean, it's great to do it within the shows like the fantasy land show. And obviously we do zero RB shows every year. We do um, zero RB Bible or what have you articles on most seasons. And we're not trying in any way to hide the fact that, you know, Rotoviz is team zero RB. I mean, that's, that's the brand. And, and I love that part of it. And I love all the discussions around it. And I don't feel like I need to be in the middle of all of them. And if, if people come away with it, wanting it to be something different, that's okay. And if people want to come away with it and think that some of the other people who had talked about similar things, either at the same time or before that, you know, they're the people who, who came up with it and started it and all that, that's also okay. Right. The thing that is important to me with it is that the article did communicate an idea in a way that was helpful for people. And it was based on ideas that I think are good. And it was based on experience of playing actual leagues, which I think is important, right? Because some of the criticisms at the time and then throughout have come from people who don't play a lot of fantasy. <laughs> you know, they, And so it's a little more difficult to take some of those objections seriously, even if the person is, is very bright. I mean, there are some people who are great minds who have had issues with some parts of it. And in many cases, some of those things are justified and they play a lot and they're good. And if they have a different way of doing it, that's, that's awesome. In some of the cases the people haven't played a lot of fantasy leagues and they're coming at it from a little more of a theoretical perspective and fail to understand some of the reasons that it actually works. And so those criticisms tend to not be as successful. But then Colin, the interesting thing is sort of what transpired from 2014 until today. And you mentioned the article about the leagues uh, coming out rash. I actually wrote those together in November and said, I mean, these are the teams they're doing well right now. I hope that they're successful you know, in December. And then we were able to kind of tag on to the articles and an edit at the end saying some of these teams had some big success and some of the teams that won had Jamal Charles. And so <laughs> again, very much you can look at that from two different perspectives, but then 2014, similar type of season, 2015, the running back apocalypse. And one of the things that's always good and bad about an idea being sort of high profile and in some ways controversial is that you can have specific individual events that then appear to confirm or deny an idea in a way that actually distracts from kind of the foundation. And so 
we very quickly after in the aftermath of this, we had two years that were very unusual years in that we had the running back apocalypse in 2015 and suddenly zero RB is on everybody's lips. You know, there was this time period in 2013 when the article came out where it was a big deal and controversial for a while. And then, you know, it kind of fades back into the background. Not that people aren't talking about it, but there's so much going on in fantasy all the time as there should be. And so you, you don't want there to be a situation where there's like one lone idea out there. 2015 you have the running back apocalypse and then in 2016 it's all anybody wants to talk about the adp shifts and i think not surprisingly although it just it is very interesting that these two years just came exactly back to back but you have 2016 where running back heavy was the clear way to go and in a lot of ways we can thank best ball right for the kind of re-rise of zero RB because the tools make it very clear that zero running back will work and kind of playing some of these strategies in events like the MFL 10 of death. I mean, again, it's very clear that they'll work, but once best ball becomes this massive monster and everybody wants to play and everybody wants to play well, I mean, people don't want to play and lose. And so, you're looking for the evidence to support different ways to play and, and people are back to, okay, well, you know, zero running back works very well as do some of these other modified versions of it. Or if you want to call them completely different things, anchor running back, or maybe even running back, running back. And these things work well, you want to avoid right backs in some spots that will definitely kill your team. And you always want to avoid sort of this robust running back approach. But there was this kind of two-year window where very popular and then completely unpopular to where everybody who hated it, which again, it's it's not like a moral judgment. It's perfectly fine to be on the other side, right? But suddenly after 2016, it's like zero RB is dead. And anybody who bought into it didn't know what they were talking about. But then 2017 through 2021, I mean, you can go and look in the tools and it it works. And one of the things that we see is that even in this time period now where we've had the rise of the Uber back, right? We've had the rise of the legendary running back. And now we have backs in that first round range. And and last year, we didn't really have any of the running backs like that, but we had the second round be very, very good. Which So now if you go in and look at best ball tools and are only looking at 2021 you know you're going to think to yourself you know you should draft a running back in the second round and you know maybe start with a couple of these guys i think we've mentioned it column on a couple of shows before but if you go in and look at some of the other tools and contrast some of these seasons it can be helpful one of the things that we do see is that zero rb can be a little bit more up and down in terms of the top end results and depending on whether you like to play that way or not, you can see that as a benefit or a pretty serious disadvantage. But we have seasons like 2015, for example, with Devontae Freeman, but also like last year where we have Leonard Fournette and Cordero Patterson during the regular season. We have Rashad Penny, Sony Michelle, Devin Singletary in the fantasy playoffs. James Conner. James Conner, right? I Man sacrilege to have left him out (laughs) we have these guys who come through and score a lot of points and there are definitely builds that will work with that and you know we had pete on the show talking about his team in underdog that finished in the top 10 with a very much a zero rb build and so one of the things that is kind of fun now i think is to be into the time period where I might be simplifying this a little bit because one of the benefits of not being on Twitter is that I don't have to constantly have interaction with stuff that's either in bad faith or just as very inaccurate, right? Either thing can be just a time suck. And we, we only have a certain amount of time to be alive. And one of the things that I have decided for myself is just that I want to spend that time not doing that. But there's a lot of great discussion now about how to make it work. 
And if you don't want to do it like that, how to make an anchor running back approach work or a running back running back approach work as opposed to, you know, having to establish some of the foundational stuff because people can see so clearly that it does work. And, and I love that. And one of the things that we talked about on a recent show is that it kind of depending on the format, you know, I'd like to be 50, 60% zero RB and then, you know, split those other teams up between sort of anchor RB and hyper fragile because I like to play different ways. I mean, it, one of the things that could be tough at times would be the situation where, you know, you feel like you're the face of it and people want you to do this hardcore zero RB draft every single time. And just like, there are some running backs I do like and do want to draft and drafting Jamal Charles has worked for me. If there's another guy that I think could do that, you know, I don't want to pass on him in all these drafts. It's not like the concept doesn't work because I have some running backs I like. So I think that it's, it's just so awesome now to be in that time frame where we can legitimately try to refine what we're doing and get better and do a variety of things and play in some ways that are slightly different. One of the things and I think Bjorn's going to have a, a great article coming out. He's got a, a variety of different things that he is researching and, and it's going to have some cool stuff, but kind of talks through how, you know, one of the mistakes you can make with zero RB in best ball would be to actually take too many wide receivers and especially take, you know, too many late once you've got that original group built and one of the things that's so awesome about best ball is that you have this limited number of roster spots and you have to use them wisely. And I think that in many ways, that's still something that I think people struggle with is this idea that you don't want to waste the spots and that each decision needs to be very intentional at the same time in high stakes. So we have our FFPC main event. You and I will be doing them. Ben and I will be doing, them. we'll draft lots of, of Rotoviz teams and one of the mistakes you can make in those formats and in formats where you do have waivers and you are actually setting your lineup as opposed to needing this particular combination of players with an optimized lineup is that you can not draft enough wide receivers. And so one of the things, and one of the things that's always been kind of controversial is like, what exactly is zero RB? And I always want to tell people that it's what it needs to be for you and what it needs to be for the format, but that, you know, even from a soft perspective, I do like to have the four wide receivers and the elite tight end in that group. Again, if you have a running back, you have to have because you think he's going to be the league winner. Even if it's round three, round four, like the heart of the dead zone, draft that player. Right? Don't be at the end of the season and be like, oh, I knew that guy was going to be the RB one, but it was in the dead zone. So I didn't take him. You know, that that's not the way to play it. Right. But you do want to have a lot of guys. And one of the things that was interesting about those teams from 2013 that I mentioned there is that in the kind of round six to round 10 range, there were a lot of chances to kind of pivot back to running backs and take weaker players and pass breakout wide receivers. And it was important not to have done that. And that's something that I think can get lost too in this discussion of, okay, well, you called it zero RB. And so it's important that the zero occurs. And, you know, you can miss the fact that a team with seven running backs or a team with seven wide receivers in the first nine picks that has a tight end and a running back, maybe where the running back is taken doesn't matter as much. Now, again, if it's, if it's like your first round running back and people don't want to call that zero RP, that's obviously fine. But that's going to be different, say, and in a lot of cases better than if you start with three wide receivers and then three running backs. I mean, very few of us who have kind of been working through this topic from the beginning would consider that to be zero RB, right? I mean, you did start with wide receivers, but I mean, you stopped and then went into the running back dead zone and drafted. Not only did you draft running backs in an area that has a lower expected outcome, but you drafted too many of them. And so you don't get any of these kind of roster synergies, any of these chaos benefits that we're looking for from the approach. So those are some of the things in terms of you know, where it was then, and where it still is that I think are interesting and, and kind of important, at least for me. And again, it's great if people are having the conversation and come to different things for them. The idea is for you to win your league and to have fun playing. And so if there's a different version of it that works for you, that you want to consider that or you want to call something else, I mean, that's, that's good. I mean, you should get to that point for yourself. Have fun and win your league.
Yeah, no, that's an absolutely awesome conversation, Sean. And, um, you know, so much stuff covered there, stuff that I hadn't um, heard in the past. And I'm sure the listeners have really enjoyed listening. And we are going to have other Zero RB content coming out throughout the rest of the offseason, throughout the summer and so on. If there's anything that you would like to hear that maybe something that Sean touched on today, you know, sparked something where you're like, I wonder what that meant. We will probably wrap it all up with a mailbag show at some point. So send me those questions on Twitter or email them over. You can send them on Twitter at over to Marlin or email is rotovizradio at gmail.com. We are going to close it off, Sean. That is a bumper episode, 50 minutes approximately of Rotoviz OT for the listeners on a Thursday. But I think it's one that uh, I think people will go back and listen to on multiple occasions. You did mention the Zero RB episode that you did with Fantasyland with Pete and Pat. And I think Fantasyland holds up. I've listened to it over the last couple of summers again. And I always uh, tell the story that I listened to the episode where they talked about Roto World when I was in New Zealand uh, walking around a mountain. So uh, I always sticks out to me in my mind. But there's some amazing episodes in that. So head on and check out Fantasyland if you haven't heard those before. Fantastic stuff from Pat and Pete. But that episode is going to wrap up. Before we do that, we are going to do a draft over the coming days. Myself and Sean over in underdog on the in the best ball mini a tree tournament if you want to get in on the action over at underdogfantasy.com you can sign up with the code rotoviz they will match your deposit 100 up to 100 so make sure that you get in basically sign up with a hundred dollars get a hundred dollar bonus and that'll get you four entries into that uh, best ball mini a tree tournament with a shot at a two million dollar top prize they are 25 dollars per entry and of course we'll have lots of ffpc content coming up throughout the offseason, Sean mentioned the FFPC main event. Every time he mentions it, I get a little bit more excited as it creeps closer. So that will be coming up uh, over the kind of June, July, August months. But that is going to wrap it up for today's edition of the podcast. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. My co-host, as always, is Sean Siegel. And until we're back with another episode, have a good one. Thank you for listening to Overtime on Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz with a discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com